0: You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by Numerical. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday Talks, where we shed light on the evolving complexities within the communications ecosystem. Joining Anise and I again for part two of our myth-busting, what is the current state of stir-shake and implementation topic, Chris Wendt. Chris is the co-chair of the Addis SIP Forum, IP and Ta- Joint Task Force. He is also the co-chair of the STIGA Technical Committee And as always, a welcomed guest of Numerical. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us again on a Tuesday Talks.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Great, so on part one, we dove into the challenge that service providers have with their local policy when attesting to what they know of the caller or we might refer to them as an enterprise. And that caller's authorization to deliver calls using a specific TN. So let's continue the enterprise challenge discussion, but this time we're gonna shift towards the technologies to support bridging that gap. When I refer to that gap, what we're talking about is the situation where the service provider's direct customer is perhaps a BPO, which is a business process outsourcing call center. Um, So this provider who sits between the voice service provider and the enterprise, thus creating the gap. That creates the challenge for the voice service provider to um, sign the calls with an A level attestation. So, Chris, can you tell us what's currently being done from a technical perspective for this gap that the voice service providers are facing when they're deploying their Stir Shaken or Robocall Mitigation solution?
1: So there's a couple of techniques people are looking at. I think we're sort of at the early stages and there's uh, work being done on a number of uh, uh, techniques. Uh, The first one that both of us have been involved in um, primarily is the use of certificate delegation. And the, the, the point of that is that the originating service provider that isn't directly initiating that call uh, needs some proof that the legitimate caller that is, is using a telephone number is, is the actual vetted user um, that can use that telephone number. So what certificate delegation allows is a enterprise or a any VoIP entity that isn't necessarily authoritative over a telephone number to sign um, based on delegated authority. Basically, it'll sign the call just like with Shaken, except it's not the official Shaken certificate. It's a, it's one that represents this authority. And then once it gets to the originating provider, that is converted. The originating provider looks at that. They validate it. They know like absolutely where the call came from, and that can be used to as proof that uh, it can provide uh, a attestation. There's some other techniques that are also being discussed. Some are the database that's shared between different providers, a letter of authorization technique. These are sort of more commercial arrangements that are made between providers uh, to create a level of trust. But you know, the The telephone system is uh, pretty diverse and, you know, there's lots of uh, ways a call could go in terms of, you know, especially with least cost routing and other techniques people are generally using um, in the VoIP world. So, you know, for me, the delegate certificate sort of has the most legs in terms of solving those really challenging enterprise scenarios.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, Chris. And I also think with a centralized database or any database model, um, that would create a situation very similar to what we have with the CNAM databases. Yeah, service providers using CNAM DBs, there, there are more than one, but still the essentially the challenge is you need to update a single database, a database that a service provider types to.
1: Yeah, I think the telephone system really, you know, it, it's been around for a while, and I think the techniques that are in place today are really thinking more from a service provider perspective. I think what we'd like to do in the telephone ne- network is facilitate more end-to-end use cases where, you know, especially from an enterprise point of view, you know, you want to control uh, how you're, you're calling name and, uh, you know, with rich call data and other things um, potentially enhance how a call appears at the the far end of the call to the called party. So that's sort of what we're trying to, you know, strategically move towards is, you know, more of an end-to-end that is a little bit separate from the actual routing of the call from
2: provider to provider. So with delegated certs, enterprises have a better control because they are attaching the certs real-time in their call. And you also mentioned about RCD, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a claim that can be used to add data such as logo and call reason. How did did that come about? And what are your thoughts on how that data can be used at termination?
1: Well, it really is them from like thinking about now that we have identity headers and uh signed credentials part of the telephone ecosystem how do we extend beyond just you know proving that the telephone number is correct how can we add more value to this how can we encourage people to be adopting this how can we potentially add new opportunities for uh A value in the telephone network as part of this effort, which is sort of, I I sometimes use turning lemons into lemonade. You know, you you take something that's mandated and something that, you know, not everybody, people are sort of looking at as like, oh, I got to do this because the FCC is telling me to do this. Rather than looking at it that way, it's like, you know, what are the opportunities to take this and use this opportunity to uh, upgrade the telephone network to more possibilities. So RCD was all about that. It was, I would say, it's sort of the no brainer addition because, you know, like we're signing a telephone number, it's easy to sign a calling name. It's easy to sign some extensible piece of JSON that allows you to pass uh, multiple pieces of information that you want the customer to potentially react to or uh, uh, see when they're answering the
2: call. Is this R C D claim created just for the shaken standard, or was is this something that exists even outside it? How how did you know how do you ensure that it is a standard format that everybody can accept? And maybe this gets
1: more into the, the deep levels of the way standards work, but the way that we've been doing things, and I think this actually works generally well and and, it, and it's and it's very typical with most uh, telecom standards is You build a more generic framework within IETF. IETF is all about protocols, the base level protocols. SIP is defined in IETF. X509, the the PKI standards that we use as part of StirShaken are in IETF. You use those sort of at a core generic level. And then generally, you know, industry uh, forums, industry interest groups may, might take that. 3GPP is a big example of in the, the, how the mobile guys took IETF standards and build a, a more practical, implementable framework, you know, specific for that uh, those scenarios, you take those. And, and in our case, that's exactly what STIR and SHAKEN represent, it's sort of the, the, the US um, uh, specific standards that take this, the STIR framework and expand those into you know more of the best practices implementation details that uh, for real service provider networks. So we did the same thing with RCD. We we created a base spec in IETF and and took that to the IP and NI to define the shaken version of that. And um, yeah, probably continue to follow that path. So you could implement, and we hope people <laughs> implement stir and RCD across even private networks and and other things like that. And that may not have to follow shaken, but because uh, that's, that's maybe a different scenario. But you know the, these technologies are available across all those uh, spaces.
0: Yeah, Chris, and I want to go back to uh, the two options of the central database and mm-hmm. delegated certificate. And I filed comments, um, specifically reply comments back in May of last year, mm-hmm. um, coming up on the anniversary of it. And I dove into you know what those two approaches achieve and what they don't achieve and I wanted to get your thoughts around first of all, I'll talk about what they do achieve because that's the same for both sides. Um, they do achieve some kind of vetting process uh, of the entity before their identity uh, is established, whether it's in delegate certificates or on the central repository and they also have their own approach to TN authorization. In my comments, the thing that I really honed in on was security. That's where these right. two models really break apart. Certainly. And so I wanted to get your perspective on the security um, that's afforded through the delegated certificate versus what we get in the centralized database.
1: Yeah, I mean, the basis of uh, STIR um, and any real uh, security protocol is making sure you can track things end to end. So, you know, with a digital signature, you have somebody that signs something. Uh, that needs to be validated at the other end. The problem with a uh, central database is that you have a disruption there, right? Like somebody puts something in a database, even if you authenticate who's putting that in the database, um, you have to correlate that back to this call that's coming, you know, a month later, two, two years later, whatever. You have no uh, cryptographic connection to that database. So My worry, and I think probably your worry as well, is that, you know, like I put my telephone number in the database, you know, what's to say that somebody else comes along um, and, uh, you know, manipulates the originating service provider to think that, they own that number. And because they're in that database, they get a, an A at a station or even worse, you know, like there's RCD information associated with it. And, you know, you really uh, confuse the user because you're providing all this great information of who it is, but it's actually the wrong person. So uh, that's my major concern as well, on um, the end to end security of, of how you do those things. Now, I think there is maybe some valid scenarios like in a, an isolated trust network where you could accomplish those things, but it really doesn't have the global reach that I think the fundamentals of what we have in STIR, which is end-to-end security yeah. provides.
0: I think you might be talking blockchain and we are yeah. not going down that topic on this session. Anise <laughs> well, and I can uh, <laughs>
1: another, <laughs> Yeah, that's a topic for another day.
0: That is a totally another topic. Um yeah. and uh yeah, that's got legs now too. So um, but yeah, I mean I I think what's what's good about, you know, at least from those perspectives is security, I just think is essential. And and it's interesting, Chris. I hadn't thought about it to you just said this with regards to the rcd and the verification of it is Mm -hmm. um the liability uh in that scenario with the central repository that if i'm a service provider and i'm depending upon this information uh and that it's being vetted and that it's accurate and truthful and i sign a call with a level attestation and kind of find out Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's actually not really you know the entity it's some other (laughs) actor who's pulled me into it you know who's I don't know. I don't know what the answers are. I might be opening up a can of worms, but it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, who would be liable for that? I mean, are these, are these situations we're going to see in the future? I, I think there's so much more yet to learn um, with these deployment models.
1: Exactly. When building a system with security at the forefront, you want to make sure there's no holes. And um, I would hate to create holes for, with, with some of these techniques. So that's why I'm, but you know, I put a lot of work into uh, the certificate delegation stuff because I knew I knew we would need something that's sort of bulletproof in terms of uh, end-to-end.
0: Right. So on that point, uh, when do you think that the delegated certificate model will actually be rolled out across the industry? And can you kind of give us an update as to you know what's the process and where are we at?
1: Sure. Yeah. So a bunch of companies asked the. STIGA about support for delegate certificates. Uh, All of the specs are done for that and approved uh, in both an IP and I, which is the one that's uh, associated with SHAKEN. So there's a couple of process that have to happen in terms of updating the policies and and other stuff, but I anticipate hopefully that will come out fairly soon uh, where um, results of uh, the process for, for getting that policy accepted and, and put into place. And, and we can start doing that officially.
0: So with the onset of the delegate certificates uh, into the industry, um, you know, one of the, um, as a use for A-level, we're already seeing a lot of service providers talking about, you can go ahead and get your call signed with A-level attestation and it'll achieve all these things for you. Your contact rates are going to go up. So, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything to the claim that service providers can deliver calls to more terminating devices because of agreements with providers to guarantee calls are delivered with a a attestation?
1: Well, I just think that's the entire goal of what we're trying to get to, right? I think we talked a little bit about it last time, but B and C only really exist because, you know, we weren't ready as we needed sort of the crawl, walk, run approach because we were running (laughs) at an accelerated pace to get the specs in place and to get the solution in place. So, to me, the enterprise techniques that allow you, in a secure way, to give a att- attestation to all calls that are legit with you know a le- legit telephone number association. That's where we need to be. And so, you know, and the FCC's done a. A great job at uh, pushing the industry. Obviously, uh, we've been working quite rapidly as an industry to get there. And uh, hopefully, you know, after June 30th and after some of the the smaller providers also come on board, we will be at high level percentages of calls that are signed. So it will be something that can be relied upon and hopefully the enterprise techniques will will follow soon afterwards and that really sort of gets us to the point where we can rely on verification of calls and you know start relying more on that rather than trying to look at the stopgap things that are happening today.
2: Right exactly. Right. So it seems like with RCD claim as part of the delegated search enterprises would be able to send rich call data logos called reasons, call reasons etc mm-hmm. but not all recipients use the same device, right? So you have Android users, you have Apple users, for example, the vast majority on, on cell phone networks, they don't behave the same way. So aren't there challenges with terminating devices and how they receive and process this data,
1: definitely. Um, you know, the, just because a standards exi- exist doesn't mean everybody has to implement it. However, I, I hope the industry moves towards this. There seems to be a lot of excitement around it. There seems to be a lot of folks that certainly appreciate the capabilities of what reach call data does. There is some, you know, more proprietary solutions out there that uh, folks are pushing. So I, I think you know, hopefully. At the end of the day, standards always—you know—proprietary solutions maybe get you so far, but you know, generally, standards really open up the ecosystem, provide a wider audience for something, and you know, at the end of the day, um, provide the most value. Uh, I think that's been proven many times over that following a standard. While well, sometimes people think, "Oh, I have to own the market on this thing," um, really, the it's generally the big, biggest biggest op- economic opportunity is using standard techniques.
0: Yeah, that that is funny that you say that because I've seen some marketing claims that people are like, we are the only service <laughs> provider <laughs> who can sign. I'm like, uh, no, it's called a standard, which means everybody can participate and exactly. everybody's signing the same way. Your signing is not any more magical <laughs> than somebody else's <laughs> signing. I just, it just... Yeah, blows my mind. Yeah, um, so you know, and that's kind of part of why we have the Tuesday talks is uh, we want people to be yeah. educated and aware uh, so that they can make the right decisions for their businesses um but that's
1: that's the interesting thing too like just like i was saying like we have these standards but that doesn't mean that you can't do your own Mm -hmm. twist on them you know that standards compatible that you know like does provide more value add or provides your own secret sauce or whatever and uh, there's always opportunities to to claim you're the best or (laughs) or whatever at something (laughs) but as long as you conform to the standard you're good yep
0: so, so speaking of opportunities, the uh, exciting on a Tuesday talk day that the FCC's Wireline Competition Bureau uh, announced the immediate opening of the Robocall Mitigation Database. And this database is supposed to provide details uh, on filing instructions and mm-hmm. establishes the June 30, 2021 deadline for voice service providers to submit required uh, information in the database. I'm, I'm not sure what the required information is um, i still have to research a little bit more but um i did do a look up on the database and we already have hundreds of entries so i guess that's exciting really? um, i don't know what percentage that represents uh in the united states but um you know I'm just curious what your thoughts are if you have any to contribute on that with a robocall mitigation certification yeah, I mean, database
1: yeah this is a big positive for the industry i think because it sort of takes out while well, we uh, we do want the uh, whole stir shaking effort to be industry led. You know there always has to be, you know, some something that uh, guides the how who participates and and provides the policy at the end of the day. So the SEC doing this, I think, really provides that central guidepost of you know conforming the policies to who's participating. I think a lot of it has to do with similar to with filings that, you know, the, the folks that are in the database, I think corresponds to who provided public filings on, on their robocall uh, mitigation plan and, and all that stuff. And I think that's probably the, the, the requirement going forward. You have to commit to implementing stir in and, and other regulations around call blocking and other stuff like that. That's what I think it's all about. And, you know, like, hopefully that's useful for the industry going forward and, and really, you know, controls who can participate and, you know, makes that hopefully more open and uh, uh, trusted as well.
0: Yeah, we'll see what's interesting too is that, Everyone who's in that database doesn't mean that they've implemented the exact same robocall mitigation strategy. Right, And so in just a quick look at, you know, where do we have to go find out what each provider's plan is, you have to actually go into the ECFS filing system, look at the proper docket number, find mm-hmm. their report, and then it might be redacted. So it doesn't necessarily look like it's a report for the public, even though this is supposed to be useful to the public, um, but more of just a list of who's at least doing their homework assignment and who's finished their homework assignment is what it feels like uh, to me. And so at least you have class participation if you have submitted something uh into the database exactly. now one of the key points um before this goes awry after today is the database is live but it has a time period before the actions made on the entries uh goes into effect which is uh in september and i, I i'll get the proper day but i think it's september 28th so okay. it on june 30 2021 we are not going to see a massive drop in um uh, service providers, you know, uh, connecting, right, with that provider mm-hmm. if their name's not in the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will be interesting to see what service providers are trying to do with regards to the downstream uh, carriers that, that maybe their calls are passing through, you know, what, what insight do they have on that? Do they need to pick different routes? I don't know. There's a whole other discussion that we're going to have, you know, around that right. particular topic and bring in, bring in some lawyers. Uh, for that one, because I think this is where it's, this is right. where Chris goes, this is not in my pay grade. <laughs> I did my part yeah. to get my name on the list, but that's as far as it goes, right. you know, how it gets used. I, I I think we have a lot of discussions that we need to have on that.
1: Yeah. So June, June yeah. 30th is all about the initial commitments that uh, larger providers have made. And um, you know, I mean, there's going to be By June 30th, I think there will be a fairly significant amount of calls that are signed, but you it's sort of bringing in the the lower hanging fruit providers into the mix uh, and those that had uh, made exceptions and other things like that. But yeah, hopefully by the end of the year, we're really starting to see uh, large percentages of calls being signed.
0: And, you know, if anything, I really hope that it's educational to at least the regulators and the enforcement side of just how prepared and ready the ecosystem is. Uh, I'm hoping this is an indicator of that as well, uh, so that we understand, at least with future rulemaking, that may still be coming down the pipeline of the effects that that might have, because you're actually kind of getting insight into everybody's strategy. So perhaps, and hopefully we can use this as a tool to make really smart rulemaking um, by understanding where the where the ecosystem is at at the time. Um, yeah. So Chris, oh, thank you um, again for participating in another Tuesday Talks. Um, since we have just a few minutes left, uh, let's see if our audience has any live questions today. So Molly, do we have any questions? Uh, we do have one question slash comment, kind of wondering about the new Robocall mitigation database. Do we think that the FCC might be seeding this database from an existing transit network DB could that be part of the existing entries that are already
1: there? Yeah, I think uh, the initial participants in the database. I'm pretty sure this is true. Is the based on who filed commitments uh, with the FCC currently, and then you know the, they're probably opening it up to the broader ecosystem to essentially do the same thing, except it'll be a database entry.
0: And and I think there's a little bit of research you have to do. Um, I'm. I'm gonna find a way to make this very simple for um, how do we correlate the entry in the Excel spreadsheet that you can download versus the filing itself. If the SEC doesn't have it, Numerical's going to build it. It's a very easy thing to do. I'm like, this is a simple correlation that we can bring together. Otherwise everybody's got to hunt and, and it's, it's, it's time consuming. So I think there's yeah. a better way for us to be able to pull the information together so you can see exactly what the service provider has done versus having to look at the list. Cause the list actually doesn't tell you anything other than they filed something,
1: right?
0: It could, they could have filed. We're nowhere near close, <laughs> Right. We're not going to be able to do this within time. We're going to need extra time. I don't know. You know, you have to go and read every single file. So uh,
1: I think the FCC is pretty serious about commitments to uh, <laughs> solving the problems. So.
0: Well, you can come up with your yeah. own robocall we'll mitigation strategy. It doesn't have to be Easter shaken. because there's going to be some that have networks that they're like, we, we can't make the physical upgrade. Uh, but here's our plan in the meantime while we work Absolutely. on this sort of strategy. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, not. there is, there is some rules. Um, it mostly has to do with either stir shaken road or, you know, some folks are looking at the, uh, the nine IP. Uh, if you have SS seven interconnection, um, have, providing a potential solution there, uh, which the industry is also working on in parallel. So yeah, there is some flexibility there, but you know, it's not ultimate flexibility. You can't just mm. come out of the woodwork and you right. know, create something new. It has to right. be. It has to be fairly real.
0: Correct.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did a very quick look at the database. There is a column for Strashaken implementation status. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are right now showing not applicable, but I did see a few providers that have mentioned that they've completed Strashaken. Mm-hmm. So there's I, a lot
0: of NA, so I'm not sure yeah, I'm lot like, of ooh, a database that's not applicable other than it's got a name and an address. <laughs> So we will have to dig more information. I think. I think it's. And that's
1: why we need to do more of these things in the FCC. You know, we meaning the general industry needs to make people aware of what the requirements are and uh, you know what the path forward is Uh, because I I you know it is a complex topic and uh, not everybody's uh, has been paying full attention of it, although they should be pretty aware of it. If you're in this industry.
0: <laughs> Shockingly, we still come across people who are like, what's that? <laughs> like, Oh no, boy. I, I- yeah. <laughs> yep. So I think we got time for one, one last question very quickly. Uh, Alan, uh, Percy, uh, submitted it and he says, asking if there's any early adoption indications for delegated certificates for enterprises.
1: Yeah. So there's been a few industry POCs that have, uh, been announced and, uh, discussed and, uh, even demoed in public forums. I know there's a bunch of the there shaken providers working on it. So, uh, that's where we're at, where we're at now. It, we're sort of waiting on the policy part from the SDIGA to make it official. Hopefully after that, uh, you can see, uh, so solutions sort of coming out of the woodwork, uh, I suspect.
0: Yes, I agree. We're seeing innovation (laughs) around it, including ourselves. So So thanks for joining us today on another episode of Tuesday Talks. We'll see you again on Tuesday, May 4th, where we'll be discussing leveraging trust in the network with rich call data and the authentication of branded assets. We hope to see you then.